Hey there, thanks for tuning in to St. John's Asheville Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope, and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church. Our first reading is taken from the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 35, which is on page 578 of the Red Bibles. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of of water. The horn of jackal shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveller, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Um, Our second reading is uh, taken from the gospel according to John chapter five, starting at verse one to verse 15. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool, called in Hebrew, Bethsatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, The man who made me well said to me, Take up your mat and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take it up and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. 
Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Do not sin any more so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. This is the word of the Lord. All right, before I say anything, uh, over to you. Anything that uh, you want to share from your reading, any, uh, from your listening, any uh, questions you have, things that you've noticed this morning um, at the 10 a.m. congregation, uh, someone said, I'm an engineer, and what I noticed is the highway in Isaiah 35. That sounds good. I like highways. That was it. So it could be as simple as that. <laughs> the Lebanese bloke notices Lebanon. Classic. Yeah. The glory of Lebanon. Hmm. Nice. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, sure. It's a good question. What is Jesus getting at when he has the, the line about don't sin, so nothing worse will happen? Hmm. I'm going to defer that till my sermon. But yeah, it's the, exactly the right thing to pick up on. Like it's a, yeah, it's, a, it's weird. It's one of several weird moments in this passage. You know, what does Jesus mean? He's tricksy sometimes. Hmm. To actually answer the question. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, really, really good observation. Jesus does this to people all the time doesn't actually directly answer their question. But here's someone else who's not directly answering Jesus' question. So it's a funny kind of moment. Yeah. Yeah. One of, um, one of very few moments in the Gospels where Jesus heals someone and the, it's not because he has come to them and said, please heal me. I need, I need you to. I know you can do it. And almost always his response is, your faith has made you well. There's no, no, you, there's no faith at all here as far as we can see. Like it's, a, it's weird. Yeah. Weird starting to get an insight into what a roller coaster of a week it's been trying to work out what to say about this crazy passage. Yeah. Eva. Yeah, astonishing. Hey, right, he's just he's been healed after 38 years all of a sudden and the, the, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders come along and uh, they're like, um, the mat? Like, hello. <laughs> but even more than that, they really double down on it, right, because he says, the man who told me to pick up my mat and walk, uh, sorry, the man who healed me told me to pick up my mat. And they say, who told you to pick up your mat? He's just reminded them that they're not interested in who's healed you. They just want to know about the mat. Anyway, um, uh, Ali Moffat, who was preaching today at St. Oswald's in the morning, we were talking about this during the week, and uh, she was saying, maybe, maybe I should do like a first-person narrative sermon from the perspective of the mat. <laughs> <laughs> what does the mat feel in all of this? Wow, what a weird day I've had. Anyway, I've just been underneath someone's backside for 38 years, and all of a sudden there's the light, and then, anyway, I don't know, weird, fun times, yeah, weird. Absolutely. I mean, has he, has he literally for 38 years not had a single person who was able to get him into the water? Um, yeah, very interesting. And um, I'll say something about this as well in a minute, but uh, well, I don't know what to do with filling in the blanks there, right? It just seems weird. Um, some of the commentators have su- suggested that um, maybe he's just really not a pleasant person. Maybe. Maybe he just actually is he's one of those guys who's just burned all his bridges and he's got no one left to help. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Or there's something else that, or, you know, I don't know. Yeah, but weird. He seems to have no one. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that you uh, move in our hearts by your spirit as your word is read uh, so that we might understand you better, that you might give us uh, insight into ourselves, into what it means to follow the Lord Jesus. Thank you for those moments of wisdom and insight by your spirit that we've heard already uh, as we've ministered to one another this evening. As we continue to dig into this passage, Father, we ask that you would enlighten our hearts, that we might see the Lord Jesus more clearly and follow him more closely in all that we do. And we ask this in his glorious name. Amen. Uh, it's New Year's resolution time still, maybe, if you're that kind of person. 
No, no, I'm not a New Year's resolution kind of guy. But some of you are, I've heard. And apparently a thing that lots of people make New Year's resolutions about is your health, right, your wellness. This is the year I'm going to get to the gym. This is the year that I'm actually going to start eating right. This is the year that I'm actually going to make those appointments with the council that I've been putting off. Wellness is kind of a common theme in our New Year's resolutions. Uh, you can Google uh, as well, as I did briefly yesterday, um, uh, what gyms are there in Ashfield? What naturopaths are there in Ashfield? Uh, what um, psychology practices are there in Ashfield? Uh, what chiropractors are there in Ashfield? Hundreds of them in one suburb. Wellness, it turns out, is something that really matters a lot to us, something that we think about a lot, something that uh, just actually takes a lot of our time and attention. One of the ways in which, uh, at least in kind of the, the Western world, I think we're probably playing catch-up to lots of other parts of the world, but one of the things that in the Western world has developed in, in medicine in the last kind of 20, 30 years is a really strong sense of how well-being is a holistic concept, that health is a holistic concept. The basic uh, kind of, you know, um, illustration of that is that we know that the best thing for our mental health is regular physical exercise and a good diet. The physical and the mental aspects of health go together. One profession who are really, really big on this uh, is chiropractors. I don't know about you, I've been to lots of chiropractors over the years, and one thing I can tell you from all of my experience of chiropractors is some of them are awesome. Some of them are really weird. Some of them are a bit crazy. My mum actually worked um, in the office for a, a chiropractor uh, for a long time. He was one of the good ones, but he was the first to say, there are some people out there who just have some way out there wacky ideas. And all of the wacky ideas often that you hear from chiropractors, like, for example, that your emotional problems can be healed by pressing on the right bone at the right time, all this kind of stuff, um, uh, lots of those kinds of things come actually out of a really good place, out of the idea that health is holistic. Uh, there's a book that uh, my colleague Dave, the site pastor at uh, St Albans, was uh, reading this week as he was preparing to preach on this passage as well, uh, a book called To Be Made Well uh, by a woman named Amy Becker, a Christian woman who tells a little bit of her own story of dealing with sickness and brings it into connection with some of the healing miracles that Jesus performs in the Gospels. And she, in that book, tells a story about going to see a chiropractor. Now, here's what she says. She says, I told the chiropractor the story of my back trouble and all my attempts to cure the pain. I told her I thought I had a problem with alignment, and I wondered if she could help. She nodded and said, whenever I hear the word alignment, I tend to think of what is out of balance in your life, not primarily in your body. A holistic approach to health. Maybe there is something wrong with the alignment of your spine, but maybe there's other things in your life that are contributing to that. Health that aligns body, mind, and indeed soul. That's increasingly how we think about health and well-being. And so before we get into the, the Bible's text tonight, I want to ask you to just think for a moment about what kind of healing is it that you're after in your own life? What kind of healing are you after in your own life? Perhaps it is physical healing of some kind. Some ailment that you've had, maybe it's a short-term, uh, kind of out-of-the-blue thing, maybe it's a chronic condition that you've faced. Maybe it's physical healing, maybe it's psychological healing, maybe it's some kind of mental health issue that you've been wrestling with for a long time, continuing to try to get grips on. Maybe it's relational healing that you're after. There are problems in some of your, of your close relationships and you want to fix them and you just can't make it work. I want you to keep those things in mind, the kind of healing that you're after, as we uh, open up this question that Jesus asks. It's such a fascinating question. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? 
Uh, what Jesus' question opens up for us, I think, is two aspects of how we approach healing. Uh, the first is what it means to search for healing, what the search for healing might look like. And the second is uh, to, where to go to find the true source of healing. And those are the two things we're going to unpack tonight uh, under those two headings, the search for healing and secondly, the true source of healing. So let's begin, as is our custom, with point one, the search for healing. Uh, so as we read this story uh, that uh, Boston's read for us from John chapter 5, we're in Jerusalem at a pool uh, called Bethzatha. It was surrounded by five covered porticos, kind of like covered areas where people could sit in the shade around the pool. Uh, the pool was said to have healing properties. Uh, if you pick up one of the Bibles in your pews or your own Bible, if you've got it with you or when you go home, uh, you'll see that at the bottom of the page, uh, there's a footnote saying there are some other verses that we haven't included here, but which exist in some of our manuscript copies, some of our ancient copies of the New Testament. Uh, the, the reason, basically, that they're not in our modern Bibles is that the earliest and best versions we have of those manuscripts don't include them. But what those verses do is to explain why it is that, that the, someone would want to do what this guy is doing, to get down into the pool, why he thinks that might give him some healing. Almost certainly what's happened is that when the, this, this, uh, this text was first written, when John first wrote these words down, uh, everyone kind of who was going to read it, he was like, they know, they know the portico there, they know, they know the pool there with the five porticos, they know what the deal is. I don't need to explain to them why this guy would go there. But as time goes on, people have added some notes in there to explain it to us. Helpful for us, because we would have no idea, I suspect. Anyway, what that tells us in those verses and what's been found by archaeologists over the years uh, is that there was this pool and the belief that an angel would sometimes come down and stir up the waters so it would kind of bubble up. And the belief was that the person who made it down into that moving water first would be healed of whatever it was that they were seeking healing for. That's what's going on. That's why there's all these people hanging out at this pool. Uh, but with those details, uh, the passage that we've read focuses in then very quickly on a particular man who'd been there for uh, what must have been virtually his entire life. The life expectancy for, for a man in first century Palestine was something like 42. And so he must have been there for virtually his entire life. And Jesus has a question for him. We pick it up in verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, understatement maybe, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? What a question to ask. I mean, could be almost a cruel question to ask, don't you think? This guy's been sick for a long time. He's sitting there near a pool that he thinks can heal him. Of course he wants to be made well. Why, why twist the knife in Jesus? On the surface of things, it's a very strange question indeed. Of course he wants to be well. And so we've got to ask, what is Jesus getting at by asking him this question? Uh, to be honest, this question, and I hinted at this a little bit as, uh, as we heard from you and your observations of the text before, this question and this whole passage is kind of a bit slippery, actually. There's a lot that we aren't told, a lot of gaps left in the story that John's recorded for us. And the Bible scholars, the commentators in my reading this week, have done a pretty good job of filling in the gaps. It's just that they all fill in the gaps in completely different ways, which kind of makes you go, I think none of you have a clue what you're talking about at this point. There's a bunch of different things, actually, that Jesus could be getting at here. And I tend to think that when we have a passage like this where there are lots of things that are left unsaid, it's an invitation, actually, by God as we engage with his word, as we listen to the voice of the Spirit, as he applies it to our hearts, to actually go with wherever the Spirit takes us in it, actually. There might be different things for different people to take out of this question from Jesus. What could they be, though? What are the different things that Jesus could be getting at here? Uh, for starters, I'm just pretty convinced that Jesus has no kind of cruel or emotionally obtuse kind of intention in the question. That would just be so completely out of the bounds of anything else we see of Jesus as he engages with vulnerable people and the Gospels. 
So he must be asking for a reason. He must be asking in order to try and make the man think of something or do something or see something freshly. Maybe it's a straightforward and genuine question. Perhaps the man kind of doesn't want to get well at all, actually. It's possible, I think, to carry a burden of some kind for so long, whether it's physical or psychological or relational, that you kind of become used to it over time. It dominates your life so completely for such a long time that you kind of just adjust to it and make accommodations to it, and you can no longer imagine not being that, not carrying that burden anymore. In a strange way, the things that we most want to be healed of can actually become part of our identity, how, part of how we define ourselves. And so maybe for this man, the thought of having to re-enter a more normal kind of life is actually just so overwhelming that he's just as afraid of being healed as he is of being burdened by his infirmity. Maybe. Or maybe he's simply just lost hope after most of his life, uh, suffering whatever it is that he's suffering, uh, that healing is, is just doesn't even seem like a real possible possibility for him at all. It's like, that's just, I don't really actually believe that that's going to happen. If you're sure something's not going to happen, it's far easier just to pretend that you don't want it, or even just to stop wanting it genuinely. So it could be that Jesus' question here is trying to get at what's really going on in this, in this guy's heart, what's really happening for you as you deal with and process this sickness that you've been feeling. It could be that Jesus' question is meant to kind of snap him out of the way that he's thinking about his illness and about himself, see himself and his illness in a new light. Here's my hunch, though, about uh, what's really going on in Jesus' question. Um, it's more than a hunch. Like, I think this is kind of where the text leads us, but people take this in different directions, and so I just want you to know that it's a bit of a slippery one. But here's my hunch about what Jesus is doing here. I think Jesus wants this man to realise something about where it is that he's going to search for healing, to look for healing, to find healing. He wants him to see something about the nature of the search that he's on. And I think the man's response is uh, indicative of this. Verse 7, the sick man uh, answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water's stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Uh, as Cynthia noticed, uh, the man doesn't answer Jesus' question directly, giving Jesus a taste of his own medicine, perhaps, in one sense. He doesn't answer the question directly. It seems obvious that he wants to be well. That's why he's here at the pool. But even though he's here at the pool, he can't quite get into the water. There are plenty of other desperately sick people, more mobile perhaps than him, or at least with friends to help them get down to the water, and they get there first every time. It's almost as if what he's saying to Jesus is, look, I don't even know who you are, but let me tell you how it is. I'm really trying. I've been working as hard as I can to get the healing that I want that's right in front of me. I'm as close as I can be. I'm working at it, but it's just out of reach. What you can see from his response is that he's utterly fixated on getting into that pool. For this man, healing is synonymous with being the first one in that pool when the time is right. It's all he thinks about. It's what he plans his days and his life around. He's, he's living basically at the pool so that he can be there and ready when the moment comes. He knows exactly where his healing will come from. Except, of course, that it hasn't worked, has it? And to be honest, there's no reason to think that it will. Even if the pool really does have healing powers, he can't get there. I think Jesus had some inkling that the man might respond like this, and I think the subtext of Jesus' question is, if you really do want to be well, then why are you here? It obviously isn't working. It's not doing what you need it to do. Why are you persisting in searching for healing somewhere where you know you will never find it? 
This man's been searching for healing in, in all the wrong places. I want to take you back to that question I asked you uh, just a moment ago. Uh, what kind of healing are you searching for? Maybe like the man in this story, it is, physical, it is physical healing of some kind. Perhaps you've been again and again to a whole host of medical specialists. Each one has a new silver bullet for you. Each time you pursue a new treatment wholeheartedly, only to have it lead nowhere, or at least not to last. Maybe that's the kind of healing you're after. Maybe you're searching for psychological healing, for mental wellness. You have patterns of negative thinking that you just can't seem to break out of. You've seen a counsellor or five. You've tried medication. You've tried various different mindfulness techniques. But the same patterns persist. Maybe there are sinful habits in your life that you can't get control of and you want, you want healing from those patterns of behaviour. You've told yourself, try harder, don't do it again, don't mess up like you did every other time. You've found an accountability partner, someone to pray for you and talk with you through the things you're struggling with. And you've had moments where you seemed to have moved on. But a relapse is always just around the corner. Or maybe it is relational healing. Maybe there are just relationships that you have where, where you even perhaps know what's going wrong, where you can't just get on with this person in the way that you want to. But every time that you try to fix it, the same thing happens again. You have that argument again. You feel rejected again. Again and again and again. Well, if that's your experience, uh, what Jesus might suggest to you here is that maybe maybe you're going about your search for healing in the wrong way. Maybe you're looking for that healing in the wrong place. Maybe the treatments and techniques that your heart is set on just can't actually do what you want them to do. Do you want to be made well? If you do, you need to search for healing where it actually really can be found. You need to go to the true source of healing. And that's what Jesus tries to explain to this man next. That's our second point, the true source of healing. Uh, Jesus asks the question, and the man kind of, sort of, not really answers him. And Jesus seems to decide, this is the weirdness that James pointed out to us before, that that non-answer answer is just it's good enough. That'll, that'll do the job today, Jesus says. And so, verse 8, Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. And at once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Incredible. 38 years this guy's been sick. 38 years he's been searching for healing. He can't find it. Nowhere he's tried, nothing he's done has worked. He can't see past the pool in front of him as the source of his healing. But in the end, no healing springs, no human assistance were necessary. One word from Jesus has the power to get the job done. In this brief conversation, Jesus has invited the man to reconsider his search for healing, to see it in a new light. And instead of trying to find it in all the places that have never worked to look for it where it really can be found, in him, in Jesus. In effect, he says to this man, why are you sitting here waiting for the water to bubble up? And who cares if you've got no one to get you into the water? There's no healing in that pool. There's only healing in me. Now, it's worth pausing here for a moment because most of you who are here in the room, uh, you know this, actually. You know that this is true. You believe it in the depths of your hearts. You know it in your head. You know that Jesus is the one who is the source of all healing. Even though it's so easy to fixate on other means of healing, to search for it in other places, you know actually that in the end, any healing you receive, whether it's miraculous or medical, it all comes from Jesus, from the good hand of our Heavenly Father. 
and you've prayed for it. You've prayed for healing again and again and again, but you haven't received it. And you know that Jesus can do it. He did it for this guy, and this guy doesn't even seem to have a clue what's going on. He did it for this guy, and you've prayed for it, but you haven't received it. What's going on there? What do we say about that kind of experience? There's the beginning of an answer to it in the second interaction that Jesus has with this man, uh, now healed of his physical infirmity. Verse 14. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Uh, Just let that sink in for a moment as well. Uh, The man was an invalid, essentially, for, for 38 years. What could be worse? What, what is Jesus talking about here? What, what could be worse than that experience that he's already had? Uh, what Jesus is telling him here is that there's, there's actually a more serious problem, a deeper problem, than even the very, very substantial, life-altering, life-overwhelming physical impairment that this man suffered. It's interesting that as far as we can tell, even by the end of this story, this man still doesn't have faith in Jesus as far as we can see. Um, as I've mentioned at James before, um, on all but a very few occasions, the people that Jesus heals in the Gospels are healed because they have faith in him. But this guy doesn't even know who Jesus is, maybe because he's been sitting by the pool for so long he hasn't heard about the ministry that Jesus has been doing in Jerusalem and through Galilee. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. He doesn't have any faith that we can see. And so what Jesus says to him in this second interaction is, you've received the physical healing, but you still need healing for your soul. Actually, the job's not done. You can have a healthy body, but if you don't have a healthy soul, then you still need healing. What that does, actually, is get to the heart of a biblical perspective on on health more generally. Uh, There's a a, a Scottish theologian, a really wonderful theologian, his name's John Swinton, uh, and he's written extensively about uh, disability and how we think about that uh, Christianly from a Christian perspective. Uh, And he summarises the Bible's perspective on health like this. Listen to what he writes. Uh, Health in the Bible is a relational concept which has nothing to do with our bodily shape or the number of our chromosomes or the sharpness of our minds. The most hedonistic, intellectually astute athlete can be in need of healing. And the most deeply impaired individuals can be healthy and indeed beautiful. The Bible, he says, has no equivalent word to health as we might understand it within a contemporary biomedical context. The closest word is shalom. Shalom is not the absence of illness, disease or disability. It has instead to do with the presence of God. Healing always has, first and foremost, to do with connecting and reconnecting people to God. Isn't that just a fascinating thing to to reshape our whole thinking about what health might be all about? Health and healing always has, first and foremost, to do with connecting and reconnecting people to God. That's what Jesus is getting at here with this man. There's a deeper healing that this man needs. There's a deeper healing that all of us need. We all need healing in our relationship to the God who made us. All health, all well-being, all healing flows out of that relationship. Uh, It's for that reason why uh, the prayer of confession in the the, uh, old school Anglican book of common prayer uh, has a line that we're mostly too chicken to pray now. We kind of leave it out of our confessions these days. Uh, Here's what it says in the the old prayer of confession. We've left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we've done those things which we ought not to have done. So far, so familiar. We pray those words together pretty frequently. 
We left, we've left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. There is no health in us. And that starts from the inside outwards. That's, that's health, prayer of confession, talking about confessing our sins. That's health that begins with our souls. But we have no ability to heal ourselves of anything, of any of the other stuff that goes on in our lives, spiritual, mental, relational, physical. Uh, Jesus himself uh, elsewhere said that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And that's who Jesus came for, for sin-sick people like you and me in order to heal the relationship between God and humanity, to reconcile us to God so that we might find peace, find shalom with him. And the healings that Jesus performs in the gospel are all signs that are trying to point us toward that reality. Uh, The miracles that Jesus performs, the miracles of healing, are are signs of two things. They work, if you like, at two levels. On the one hand, they're, they're a preview of sorts. They're a sign of the healing of the body that will come for all who trust in Jesus at the resurrection. That kind of healing that this man had, that will be yours when Jesus comes again. It's a sign of what's to come at the resurrection. But it's also a sign of the healing of the soul that Jesus offers to us here and now. We see in these healing miracles of Jesus a picture of what he does for our souls. He gives life to them. He makes them fresh and new and able again. And just as our souls are healed, so too when Jesus comes again, our bodies will be healed as well. Augustine of Hippo, uh, one of the uh, most influential theologians of the, of the, the whole of the history of the Western Church, uh, writing in the 4th century, uh, he was preaching on this passage, and he notes that all of those people who, just like this man here in John 5, were healed by Jesus, it didn't last for any of them. They all died. They were healed for a time, and death still took them. Here's what Augustine writes. Uh, the opened eyes of the blind were closed by death. The strengthened limbs of the paralytics were loosened by death. And whatever healed temporarily in mortal limbs succumbed in the end. But the soul which believed made the passage to eternal life. Jesus is telling this man, Jesus says to each of us, that he's come to heal our souls, to bring shalom between us and God. He's the source of healing for the sickness that all of our souls have. And because he can heal our souls... Because he can heal the problem that is right at the heart of every other problem we have, he will also surely heal our bodies. He makes no promise, of course, that we'll be healed of our physical or our mental or our relational sicknesses in this life. But he does promise here and now the peace that passes understanding, a peace that can be ours no matter what burdens we carry, a peace that waits with patient hope for resurrection glory. What does that mean for our search for healing, the search that that really we're all on in one way or another? What does it mean for our search for healing? Whether that's physical, whether that's mental, whether it's relational, whether indeed it's spiritual. What does all this mean for our search for healing here and now? One thing it does mean is that we should absolutely be doing that, be searching for healing, including in physical ways. Jesus couldn't stop himself from healing people everywhere that he went. Uh, He says, actually, beginning of Mark's gospel, he says, I've got to stop doing so much healing and go away somewhere else because what I came to do is preach and I keep getting distracted by all the healing that I'm doing. It's not because actually Jesus was kind of not, you know, master of his own time. He's the Lord of the universe, for goodness sake. But he's so full of compassion for the things that go wrong in our lives that he, he couldn't help himself. There were people to be healed, so he did it. Jesus cares about the health of our bodies. Shalom, in the end, means that, actually. means wholeness, means peace, not just for our souls, but for everything about us. And so it's good for us to search for healing. 
It's good for us to search for wellness in our bodies, in our communities, in our souls, in our minds. And so we absolutely should take hold of whatever gifts God gives us through surgeons and psychologists and dieticians and whoever else it might be. But what we've got to be careful to do is not to set our hearts on them because the only source of true health, the only one who can heal both body and soul is the Lord Jesus. And so I want to say to those of you who who are searching for healing and who've been doing it for a long time and who haven't received it yet, one of the things Jesus wants you to reflect on in this passage, in this question, is where are you searching? Where are you looking for that healing? Have you gone to the source or are you fixated on other things, things that actually in the end can never get the job done for you? Where are you searching for healing? Uh, To those of you specifically who've prayed unceasingly to the source of healing, you know where healing comes from, but you're still waiting for it. I think what Jesus wants you to reflect on here is what are you praying for? What are you asking as you go to the source of healing, as you go to the Lord Jesus? Are you asking him to heal not just your body and your mind and your relationships, but also to heal your soul? Have you been paying as much attention to the health of your soul as you do to the health of your body and your mind and your relationships? That's what's at the heart of it all. As we draw to a close, there's just one final thing that I think we should notice about this question that Jesus asks. Do you want to be made well, he says. There's lots of work that that might do in our hearts as we let that take root, as we let ourselves be questioned by Jesus. But the thing you've got to notice is that it isn't just a question. It's not just a question, it's also an offer. It's an offer that Jesus makes to each one of us. He says, do you want to be made well? And what he's really asking is, would you like me to do that for you? Because if you do want to be made well, I'm the one who can do it, and I will. Friends, the offer of health, of wellness, of wholeness is there, beginning with your soul. And if you ask him, if you let him, Jesus will make you well. It begins with that confession that we referred to before, that there's no health in us. We can't do it. We can't heal ourselves. We need him. We need what he offers. And what he offers, of course, is his very self. For our bodies and souls, he gives himself body and soul. His body and blood poured out as the source of our healing. The source of healing, the source of life itself, stepped into our world of disease and death and healed it by bearing and sharing in those same things that we suffer. As the prophet Isaiah writes in chapter 53, surely he's borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. The doctor of our souls willingly bore the scars of our sin and sickness and he took them down with him into the grave so that we might share in his unbreakable resurrection life. Uh, Let me close with some more um, of the words of Augustine uh, in that sermon that he preached um, 1,600 years ago on this text. He writes, The true health of bodies which is awaited from the Lord, will be in the end at the resurrection of the dead. But from the healing of this sick man, he gave a sign, a great sign to the soul, to all who would believe in him, whose sins he had come to forgive, to heal whose maladies he, to heal whose maladies he had humbled himself. Let's pray that that glorious truth would set root in our hearts, that we might have the peace that Jesus offers. Our gracious and loving Father, uh, we know what it is uh, to be sick and to suffer. We know what it is uh, to have uh, healing that we seek, that we seek, that we search for. We know, um, even if we're honest with ourselves, what it is to, to fixate on things that can't really actually make it better. 
things that can't give us the healing that we want. Father, we know that uh, the Lord Jesus, as you sent him into our world, he also knows sickness and suffering. He knows them perhaps at even greater depth than any one of us does. But he also is the source of the healing that we so desperately seek. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to see with the eyes of faith, to see with our hearts, that it's only in Jesus that we can have what we so desperately want and need. And so we ask, Father, for all those here this evening who are seeking healing in various ways, we do ask, Father, that you would do that. You have the power to bring healing, to bring it in a moment. And yet, Father, even more deeply, we ask that you would give us that peace that passes understanding, that we would know the health of souls restored by the Lord Jesus. Father, give us that peace, we ask, that we might walk faithfully in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus as we wait for everything that he's promised that he's coming again. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.